Well, here we go again. We're improvising. Welcome aboard the Sportsbed Podcast. Joel Kane, we've lost Shauna. What, what's happened? He hasn't gone down with the, the dreaded sea, has he? No, well, look, uh, Dan, he's a big scratching. And he never misses events either, but he's down, he's out. But you know what he, he did? He, he rang me, he said, boys, I can't get there. But don't worry, I've sorted out a replacement. Now, this voice you're about to hear, fresh off the bench. This is Shauna's work. Yeah, he's just sorted it out. He's just sorted it out, Dan. And this man's just come steaming off the bench. Uh, you may know him. You might know him. You will know him. Have a listen to this voice, Dan. Welcome. Welcome aboard. Is that me coming off yes, the bench? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one coming off the bench, am I? Okay. The great Phil Gould. How are you, Gussie? I'm great, thank you. Yeah, we thought uh, you would be a natural. We thought he'd be a natural for this podcast. Yep. What do we talk jibber and punting? Yep. Well, I mean that that's that's down your alley. Absolutely. You've had Sterlow on, haven't you? Yeah, yeah we had him on last week. Yeah, well, Didn't be the, you? The king of all this. Gus memorably in his book mm. wrote, "Punting is the way out for the common man," and we thought that that this is a man after yeah. our heart. Well, it was for me. <laughs> <laughs> what is your greatest win? Not even necessarily financial, uh, the yeah, biggest, you, but what's you, the... You don't, you don't like to glorify the wins because there's been plenty of losses. Well, we all lose more than we but, win. Uh, well, just on that in a serious note, deposit limits, like, I, I love a punt more than anyone. And Greg Miles, the great caller, he always says, punting and your love for racing is curable only by death. And I, I love racing, and I always will, but I can't emphasise any more, deposit limits, gamble responsibly, but... Your best, if you could go back and relive a race watching it, Gus, what would you relive? Uh, my favourite one was Let's Elope winning the Melbourne Cup. 91. Yeah, because that was, uh, that was a, a, a good day and a big win and an unexpected one, but mm. it was uh, um, very needed at the time and it, it not only benefited me but a lot of people, which was really nice. Well, so. Why did you back it, Gus? Well, I'd, I'd, I'd watched it in the lead-up races. I'd backed it in the Caulfield Cup. It won the Caulfield, didn't it? It won the Caulfield Cup and... The other part of that is I'd backed a course called Magnolia Hall on the Saturday uh, in the old Hotham Handicap, is it? Yeah, the old the 2500 metres, whatever the Lexus is now, you know. And it had run a really good race and I thought that it was poorly ridden on that day and it was like about 40 to 1 in the cup. So I coupled up Let's Elope to win with Magnolia Hall to run a place oh. on f- five or six horses through the trifectas. And I'll never forget the day because I went with... Um, my good mate Wayne Beavis, he rang me up, he said, what are you doing for cup day? And I said, oh, nothing much. He said, come down to the Huntley Hotel at Rose Hill. He said, there's a, a, a cup luncheon on. I said, all right. So I went and put my bets on before I went to the Huntley. And I thought, well, I don't want to have any more bets. I'll just have some trifectas on the, on the Melbourne Cup. So we're up the back of the room. And by the time the cup comes on, we're pretty drunk yep, and yes. we've been drinking all <laughs> afternoon. And the race is on and I see Let's Elope's colours storm down the outside and it's one. And I'm watching Magnolia Hall in the yellow colours and it's just got to run second or third. Anyway, it's there, it's there, it's there, and I see this other horse stream down the outside. I don't know what that number is. I don't know whether I've got it. And Magnolia Hall, I think, run third, but I'm at the back of the room. So I've turned around and I said, what ran third? He said, doesn't matter. He said, let's elope one. He said, let's elope <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. one, because we had it through doubles. And <laughs> I said, but what's run third? He said, why, why? I said, I think I've got the trifecta. He said, beautiful, beautiful. He said, it's lovely. <laughs> he actually sounds exactly like that one. So he says, <laughs> so, so anyway, the number goes, oh, he said, it ran third, Gussie. I said, what ran second? He said, I don't know. He said, Shiver's Revenge. I said, I've got oh. that. I said, I've got that. And he said, beautiful. I said, I've got the trifecta. He said, he said that'll pay a thousand bucks. And I said, yeah. And he, I said, I've got it 30 times. He said, have you? He said, yeah. He said, champagne. So he, <laughs> he calls to the waiter and says, I want six bottles of champagne over to the table. He thinks we've won $30,000. Well, the div comes up and it pays 5600 Oh, my God. 
So Wayne said, send that rubbish back. We want Maui, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so the blokes come back and he's brought all this wine for the table and all the girls are jumping into the Maui and everything's going along very nicely. And then protest. Oh, oh no. no. Second versus first. Oh. Shivers Revenge protested against Noah Stablemates, was both Bart Cummings' horses. And Wayne turned around to me. He said, have you got the other way? I said, no. I said, let's a life's got to win. <laughs> so we had to send the champagne back. <laughs> we couldn't pay for that. So uh, in the end, we correct weight. It was yeah. all good. And uh, uh, I got a cab down to Harris Park TAB and I got some in cash and I got the rest by check. And, oh, yeah, how yeah. much can they pay out of the tab? Oh, I can pay what you want, but you know, you're know you not going to get that sort of money in cash. So That's uh, what I mean. Like, yeah. uh, like 10, 10, 20? Oh. I, think, I think I got. I think I got about six thousand in cash for a drink that night. So we which is that's fair. You know what? Ninety one. Yeah, but you don't want more than. That's dangerous having that yeah. much. Yeah, that's why. That's why I think it's great today. I think. I think the rules around credit betting and all that sort of thing. The fact that they've stopped the credit betting. Yeah. You got credit limits, and you can totally agree. You can give people a break because it is. It is. You know. You you glorify these wins, and you yeah. say it's great. Of fun, course, but it's a very dangerous. Of course, you know, it is. It's, uh, it can do a lot of people a lot of harm, but um, you know, done responsibly and having a good time. I've, I've loved it all my life. I've loved gambling all my life. The, the key for me was coming to a point in my life where I knew I wasn't good at it, yep. mm. and then understanding what you needed to be. You, there is a social gambling side that I love. I love to have a few beers and a few bets, and I don't care what I'm backing, where it is, or what I'm doing. And that's just a social fun sort of thing. But if you want to be serious about trying to win money or... If you want to own race horses, and and you've got to be more circumspect about that, and take the advice of people who know what they're doing, and um, unless you're prepared to do that, well, you're going to lose. That's as simple as that. Gus, I um, personally, because I just love, I love, I love it. I'm not a a daily punter, and I wouldn't bet. I love me Saturdays, right? Yeah, you love your horses more than league, I'd say. Yeah, I'd and probably, that's a big call. Yeah, I'd say that. But I have my account, and I have every other account set to next to zero deposit limit, which means I physically can't won't allow me to accept. Any more money, but thirty dollars a day mm. is the most. But when it comes to carnival time, I might put that up to a hundred bucks for the day, and no credit card deposits. That's the way I like to go about Good it. Good discipline. Well, I just think it's you, you've got to be smart about it. Like I do love the pun as much as anyone, but you, as you say, Gus, it, it can unravel. Horse racing is wonderful, and if you and if you're a lover of the horses, which I've always yeah. been, horses are what got me into horse racing. Uh, and I, I love the theatre of the sport. I love the the carnival time. I love. I love the horse trainers and the people who work around stables. I, I love a day out at the stables, and you know, and I've had horse trainers over the years and been involved with many trainers. And uh, I love the behind the scenes part of the sport. Mm. That's what I really love. Um, and the gambling is another part of it. And I've always enjoyed gambling, but you can't let it rule your life, and you can't let it be a, a problem to you and those around you. I still remember. This is how much I love it. I remember the top weight in that race, and the reason I remember it, I was going to a school. Uh, about 10 kilometres from Blaney There was only 12 kids in the whole school Half of them were my family, right? <laughs> and and Dad had the little pub there and uh, This same year, actually But um, I had them all dressed up in colours So the kindergarten kid would run 100 metres only The year six kid would run 400 metres And the top weight was a horse called Sedestin Remember the horse Sedestin? But that same year, Gus, you won the grand final in 1991 oh, 1991, we won the grand final What a Penrith. year! I just bought a new house and I virtually paid it off that week. Wow. Wow. Was extraordinary. Yeah. So, and so this Let's Elope win is months after you've won the grand final. So this is one of the yeah, great periods. the great two it's, months ever. Yeah. It's like six weeks. And in 1991, when we won the grand final, back in those days, the World Club Challenge was sort of in its infancy. But mm. the Australian team had to go to England six days later. Yeah. So after the grand final, we had to go to England and play against Wigan at Do Liverpool. Do you prefer that? 
No, it was terrible. <laughs> and, and we didn't know until didn't we MG won- lose his passport? We, uh, yeah, yeah. We, we didn't know until the grand final was over that we had to go. You're right. And Morris Lindsay from England, from Wigan, was yeah. actually in the dressing room. He'd come to the Australian grand final. Right. And he came into the dressing room to say, well, we'll welcome you all over to England. I said, what's all this about? I said, you've got to, I said, you've got to go to England next week and play in the World Club Tone. I said, bullshit. I said, we're not going there. I no. said, he said, no, you've got to go. I said, don't want to go. I said, no, none of us want to go. And they said, no, you've got to go. We, it's an obligation. And John yeah. Quayle's there and everyone's there saying, no, you've got to go. You've got to go. I said, well, who put all this on? I said, oh. <laughs> so by, the, by, you know, you can imagine Penrith winning their first premiership and all the scenes out there for the next couple of days. And I said, we never, our feet never touched the ground no. all that time. So Tuesday or Wednesday, they're saying we've got to get on the plane Thursday to get to England and stay in Liverpool for 48 hours and then play at Anfield at the big ground. And I'm saying, we're not going. We, we can't get a team. I can't find them for a start. I can't find them. So, and there's no mobile phones in those days. No. You can't get in touch with fellas. Royce so, is having a drink with every person in the planet. So I'm running around Penrith, you know, you know <laughs> trying to round up a team and uh, – MG rang me. He said, oh, brother, I've lost my uh, passport. I said, brother. Two minutes later, Brandy rang up. He said, oh, Gussie, I've lost my passport. I said, Brand-. I said, MG's already used that excuse, mate. You've got to come. So we, and you know what's happening. And then a, cou- a couple of them got picked in the Prime Minister's uh, 13 to go up and play in PNG. Yeah. So we went over there like with a um, half a team to play at Wigan. And we got across to Liverpool. And we stayed in this hotel. Um, the, the highlight of the tour was going to the Beatles pub, the cavern, or what, yeah, what's it yeah, called yeah, downstairs yeah. down there. Other than that, we never left our room. Like, <laughs> we were in lockdown for 48 hours in Liverpool. They took us out to Anfield. We were down 8 nil after 10 minutes, four penalty goals in front of the post. Prano Bodica kicked four penalty goals. And we were just never in it. Like we just, but, And I got on a plane the next day. I was as crook as a dog because all we'd done was drink for five days after the grand final. <laughs> and I got that sick. They nearly put me off the plane in Bangkok because uh, I was, you know, I paid for my own ticket to come home and I come home and I replenished and my next outing was wow. Melbourne wow. Cup Day some weeks wow. later. You just know, by the way, that MG and Brandy would have chatted and Brandy would have said to MG, I've got a great excuse. I lost my, I'm going to tell yeah, Gus I lost my passport yeah, was, and MG would have hung up straight away and called him we were, and got in We first. were never a chance of getting MG. I, had, <laughs> I could put, never pull rank over MG. I could pull rank over Brandy, but I couldn't. MG was never, ever going to go, and nor did we want him to go either because that could have been a disaster as Dan, well. I'm, if there's a bigger fan of the Melbourne Cup than me, I'm yet to meet No, him. You're, and you're nuts about it. I just think that that six weeks that Gus has explained, barring the English trip, that's the greatest six weeks <laughs> that, that, Oh, if, brilliant. If I could go and live six weeks, I want to live that. The other, the other great time was that uh, I was great mates with Alan Denham, uh, Jack Denham's son, for many, many oh, yeah. years. Uh, Jack was on the football committee at the Canterbury Bulldogs back in the early 80s, uh, which is where I met Alan, and Alan and I were mates for a long time. And through the 80s, I mightn't have missed a race meeting. I was constantly going to the races with, uh, with Alan, and, um, uh, and we virtually lived off it. We lived off horse racing uh, during that time while I was playing football. I had a job and I was playing yeah, football, yeah. but horse racing was probably the major source of, of income at that time. Wow. And, of course, Alan, years later, they had Might and Power. And yeah. Might and Power came out and won a Caulfield Cup in yeah. uh, by the Eight big, big margin and then uh, led all the way in the Melbourne Cup. And that was another really special time to be going through that experience with them and, um, and seeing Might and Power lead all the way for Nick Moraitis. So... Hey, they were very, very special times. He, he named that horse, Dan, um, Might and Power. He, he was in the church and he's watching the, 
the Jack. priest. No, Nick Moraitis. Nick Moraitis. Oh, Nick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's watching the priest talk about, you know, all the holy things. And <laughs> Nick goes, might and power. Well, the priest used the term might and power. What a great <laughs> horse what name. A, he said, what a great name. What Nick. a great name. And you'll, you'll never forget to um, Gus where Greg Hall actually... Doremus Doremus Who'd won in 95 I was at the Clovelly Hotel Really? I was at the Clovelly Hotel And I'd back Might and Power In the doubles To win both things And I'd back Might and Power To win the race And I also had a trifecta And it had to win And I've got the trifecta On the day But uh, when they went Over the line I'll tell you I've got the trifecta You know who ran third? Markham Markham ran third Yeah His whip goes up in the air And I I thought Oh We've been beaten You know But then they showed The replay And I said Oh I don't know That angle's tricky There at Flemington You know (laughs) Anyway, I got the money. But it was a, a special time for them. He was, a, he was a wonderful horse, wasn't he? Oh. And then the next year he won the Cox Plate. Uh, come out and led all the way in the Cox Plate. We did it really? Yeah. I couldn't. I can't yeah. remember that. We had a whole group, a group of mates go out to uh, Orange. And um, it was my mate's 21st. And we had no money. We had no money. We'd bloused all our money. And I said, boys, go to your bank, raid your bank, your key cards back in those days. And we all backed Might and Power on Orange Racecourse, which saved us, right? Wow. Fast forward to Melbourne Cup Day. I've ended up on the drink that day, right, needing subtitles with a bloke, Toadfish from Neighbours. Remember him? Toady. Toady. Yeah, that's, that was my... Ryan that's Maloney. Where I was 1997. Yeah. Wow. Is that... You had a massive Melbourne Cup. Was that the one? No, no. That was uh, Protectionist. Okay. Protectionist, yeah. That was a never forget Melbourne Cup. I was offered a share to buy it. I didn't buy it, but I said to the wife, I said, can we have a bit of a crack? Yeah. And she allowed that. So. When, uh, what, you months before or had the no, crack? No, actually, I actually had a, a huge double. There was a horse called Caravan Rolls On in the Geelong Cup. And so we backed it and um, had a, a big win. It was, it was okay. a very, very nice win. Now, my favourite one was um, Delta Blues and Pop Rock. Yeah, the Japanese Raiders. The Japanese Raiders, because I got greedy, because Pop Rock had won the Caulfield. And I thought, and Delta Blues was $26 to win the Melbourne Cup, and Pop Rock was $6, but they were close in the Caulfield Cup, and yep. I think I think Delta Blues might have been ridden badly in the Caulfield. So I thought, let's get greedy, and got the exact, oh, I never bet exactors, that's fool's gold and exactor, oh. and that paid for a holiday and an engagement ring, which subsequently was a complete waste of money. <laughs> uh, but So we've all had Melbourne Cup success. Hang on, so it hey, cost you. Yeah. Hang on, let's go, let's go back to that. I tried to sell... The diamond ring, it was like 12 grand, and thought, okay, I'm going to go to the new, because I was in New York for a holiday a year down the track, went to the diamond district thinking, well, this is good. They offered $800 for it. And I thought, do I? And I thought, no. So it's just sitting in my, it's right now, it's sitting in. Will you use it? No, absolutely not. You can't imagine. Imagine you use it, the, and then it gets out that this was like if it's a family heirloom, fine. No, yeah, no, no. Yeah. That's just I'm foot. That's just a yeah. a busted investment. Throw but, it in the bay, mate. <laughs> <laughs> now you've owned horses. Have you had success doing that? Uh, not, not what you'd call success. A lot of great times. I love. I love going to the races with mates and enjoying mm. the experience and. Um, you know, and early on, it was a real thrill to have a racehorse. Uh, a good friend of mine and I went into it fairly seriously, sort of late nineties. We had six or seven broodmares, and we were racing horses, we were breeding horses, and we had no luck whatsoever. And the market got hard, and um, we actually did a fair bit of money on it actually because mm. we gave it away after five or six mm. years. But we just had no luck with it. Everything yeah, seemed yeah. to go wrong, and um, you've got to be pretty well with deep pockets to be able to continue that sort of thing. So we gave it away. And then after a period of time, yeah, I'll buy a share in a horse and I'll buy a share in a horse. So right at the moment I've got, uh, um, I've got 
four horses. I own one myself. I've got another half share and another one, and I've got you know sort of ten percent with some mates in in, a, in another couple as well, all young ones. Um, I've probably owned eight or ten horses over the last uh, six or eight years, I suppose, and with good friends, and uh, really enjoyed the experience. I've, I've loved it. I've been texted here, um, three wide day covers another podcast of sports, but Jules Valance, who I reckon he's absolutely flying as far as a, an up-and-coming media star, his best is race for Collette, and in the Doncaster he says he's tipping shared ambition, but petrified of Brandenburg, three-year-old on the minimum weight with Bossy, and then Owen, who frames up the market, uh, he's also going with Collette, uh, and he's got Brandenburg on top, so it looks as though they're going around. He said he'll be saving on Mr. Seawolf, uh, Flying, J-Mac, and Wetsuits. So there's a few tips there coming from the trading floor. Gus, uh, is Let's Like your favourite horse of all time, or is there another horse that comes to mind? Uh, well, it's, yeah, it's one of my favourite moments. Um, you know, I, I was a great Kingston Town fan back in the mm, day. Kingston yeah. Town was a part of my love of racing, you yep. know, being a young fella and, and influential by that. Dad used to talk about the great Tullock and the horses that he'd seen. But, you know, a day at the races, and they were few and far between when we were kids. You know, we didn't, our family didn't have much money and Dad was a policeman and uh, uh, he worked a lot. And if he wasn't working with the police force, he was out working a second job trying to make ends meet, mm. you know. It's, uh, um, but the occasional day at the races was just a great thrill. He took me to some Doncaster meetings and I can remember crowds. You know, it feels like there was a million people there at Randwick. Yeah. <laughs> The old betting ring. There'd be sixty bookmakers in the betting ring, and they were, they were wonderful times. I'm a bit older than you too. I can't <laughs> go back to those days. But I, I think my first trip to Randwick was probably at seven or eight years of age, and I remember Dad had an uncle, um, who uh, Uncle Cecil, who was in the war and uh, came back from the war in, in sort of bad way. But uh, he used to love horse racing too, and he took me to a Doncaster out there one year, and um, uh, that was it. Yeah, it was brilliant. You know, it's just I, I loved the whole theatre of it and the atmosphere of it and the horses especially. I mean, I, for a long time, for many many years, when I went to the racecourse, the first thing I do is go and walk past all the stalls and mm. just look at all the horses and mm. um, watch these animals, you know, going up and down. And um, I still do when I can get a chance. I love if I've got horses and I've got horses with Brad Whitup at the moment and a couple with Brian Guy up in uh, Brian and I have been great mates with mm. Alan Denham for a long long time. In fact, it's a good story about Brian Guy back in the. Uh, must have been the early 80s, I think. I was still playing. I'm pretty sure I was still playing. And he uh, he said, we, we're going down. He said, have you ever been shooting? I said, no, I've never held a gun in my life. He said, you come down to Cootamundra with us. He said, we're going down to the Cootamundra Cup. We go down to the Cootamundra Cup every year and we go shooting in the morning, go out to the race in the mm. afternoon. He said, oh, <laughs> you know, I don't really want to go shooting, mate. And he said, no, no, come down. He said, I've got a certainty in at the first at Warwick Farm. Oh. He said, Dad's got a certainty. So Dad was Ray Guy. Okay. And I said... Okay, I'll come down. So, I'll <laughs> so I went for a drive down, and we got to Cootamundra. And in the the first at Warwick Farm was before the first at Cootamundra, and we walked yeah. in. And I, the thing I love about the country race tracks is, you know, it's, it's the vibe and the friendliness and the steak sandwiches. And I've had three yeah. steak sandwiches by now, <laughs> two beers. And anyway, we're back this horse. We couldn't get any more money in the ring at on and in the ring at Cootamundra so I've had to drive back into town to the local tab, tab. and put another bet on and in the end the tab couldn't pay us and the ring couldn't pay oh. us and <laughs> oh, great this problem. thing this thing won uh, won the first at, uh, at Warwick Farm we had a great day at the Cootamundra Cup that's my I don't think he's tipped me a winner since so <laughs> now, now you played in an era and probably coached in an era where you could bet on you, as a player or a coach you could bet on the games that was legal were you a were you allowed to punt, Joel, when nah. it was uh, out by then? No, we, we um, 
There was well, a, there were no places to punt. No, yeah, it was back, SP, yeah, wasn't it? It was all SP. It was all illegal gambling back in those days. We, I remember the first game I ever captained uh, was only ever my second first grade game. I, I got promoted to first grade at Penrith. Well, when you say your first first grade game, I'd played a lot of games off the bench, but we didn't really count it until you were in the, the top 13. Yeah. You know? And I played my first game in first grade. And the second game in first grade, Mick Stevenson, the great English international, retired. And they made me captain my second ever game. And my first ever game of captain was against Eastern Suburbs at the cricket ground. And we were getting 44 and a half start on the betting cards. Remember the old betting cards? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You used to have to pick eight, six winners or something yeah. or other, you know, 33 to one, which was total unders. I don't know how they must have been making a fortune, you know. But I remember we were getting 44 and a half start on the cards against oh, Eastern yeah. Suburbs. And we beat them. Wow. wow. Won the game. We won wow. The game. We won the game 15-13. World Cup 2017, as in Cairns, doing it for seven. And it was Samoa versus Scotland. And I think both were out, or, or it was or the winner. Samoa were playing terribly, but they were giving 36 and a half start. And I went to the sushi train, and here's Joey Leilua, and I swear he's got 15 plates stacked up. 15, and he looks huge, and he's got a heap of teammates. And you know where this is going, Gus. And I thought, yep, let's... You're not backing him, are you? Uh, no, thir- <laughs> I thought 36... 36- 14 all draw. That was the easy... Yeah, 36 and a half yeah, start. That was, yeah, that was yeah. the easiest. But um, That's classic mounting yard uh, That's mounting yard information. I, um, early, early days, I was running the punters club at the time, right? And I was only a young bloke and one of the senior players or more senior players comes to me. And back in these days, if you backed yourself, it wasn't frowned upon. Clearly, you can never back against yourself. But They used to write about it in the papers. Yeah. There were headlines in the papers. Yeah, these things... That back- the sides backed itself to win the comp or backed itself yeah. to win a game, yeah. So, one of the you see a problem with like we can't do that now. Yeah, I see a problem. I'm, I'm I've got to say, I'm you know being involved in the sport. I don't actually like the gambling on the sport. Yeah, personally, mm. but you know I know a lot of people get a lot of thrill out of it, and it's a different feeling when you've had a bet on a game and you're, you're watching a game. You know, mm. um, but you know that's only a personal view. But you know, back in back in the days, yeah, you know, blokes were backing themselves all the time. You know, so we uh, were in a scenario where one of the senior players said, "Oh, mate, can you?" Can you um, free up some of that punters club money for the trip away? I want to back us this week with the start. And we're yeah. getting like eight and a half start or something like that. Anyway, we're playing the Broncos and the Broncos team list. It sounded like a big start. It sounded like a big start. But when you run out on, I think it was QE2 Stadium at the time, and there's Thorne, Webke, Sivanasiva, Iken, Talis, Takiri, Sailor, Kevy Walders, these superstars. You know, it's not so big when you're staring at these blokes. So anyway, he's on us with the plus eight and a half or whatever it is. We're leading 12-0 at half time, or we're leading at half time, and then bang, 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 Broncos just come over the top of us, right? So it comes down to this final kick, and it's from the touchline. <laughs> and no one gives a shit about this kick except two people in the whole stadium. Bobby Gambler, I won't say the bloke's name, but we'll call him Bobby Gambler, <coughs> excuse me, and Mick Devere, who's looking for about 25 kicks in a row or something. He wants to keep his record intact. So he moves in from the western touchline, right? Right boot strikes it, heading towards the post. You know when you play golf and you have like a bad shot? There's a lake in front of you and you thought, oh, your head was saying take the five iron, but you thought you could get there with the six iron. Now you've hit it. The only possible way you can get it over the lake is with that magic lean. You start the lean, right? (laughs) So, So all of a sudden, Bobby Gambler's got the lean. Mick Devere's got the lean because it's heading right towards the post. Whack! Hits the post. This is to decide the bet for him and to keep Devere's record intact. Waved away. No goal. 
if you ever come home from a night out or something, you turn the telly on, you haven't seen the game, and you'll see the players shaking hands. Just on body language, you can tell who won the game. Yeah. Bobby Gambler's clicking his heels, shaking hands. Thanks, Webkey. Thanks, Thorn. Thanks, Seven Receiver. You would have swear blind or sworn blind that he'd won the game, yeah. but he hadn't. So anyway, we're in the sheds on the Monday, and Junior Pierce, the coach at the time, he would go through the tape, you know, and it always finished on a highlight. So, yeah, oh, you know, this is great, this is great. Then we got torn to shreds in the second half. And then he says, but you know what? What I love about this team, he says, <laughs> Here we go. he goes, you think about this, right? He goes, I've mowed lawns at this ground like Art Oval. I've sold ice creams, big league magazines. I've played, I've coached, I've done all these things. And I think you blokes are getting paid too much money. No one gives a shit about this game. No one gives a shit about this game. I'm thinking, well, how's this a highlight, right? He presses play on the tape, intercept from one of their Broncos players, right? Who's going to score for all money? He says, no one gives a shit about this club except this one player. Look at this chase from this bloke, Bobby, Bobby Gambler. Gambler. <laughs> he comes from the other side of the field, right? Which means he doesn't score under the post. He scores in the corner. <laughs> Bobby Gambler. Oh, if you ever see a horse called self-interest, he's always trying. <laughs> I, I, I had one years ago. I was uh, commentating for 2GB. who just got the rights to call Rugby League, and I was calling with Peter Wilkins on 2GB, mm. and we used to do in the studio all afternoon and then go out and call the Saturday night game. And um, I'm out of Brookvale Oval and it was a, a low-grade, <laughs> nondescript sort of game. Both teams were out of the eight. And I would stop and have a couple hundred dollars on a first try scorer just for interest, you know. So so anyway, I've backed the manly winger, or was it the Parramatta winger? I can't remember. A bloke called Collins. Um, I'm trying to think of the name now. I'm not that good with names anymore. But anyway... Five minutes into the game, they put up a kick across field. Hands go up in the air. The ball's knocked back. He picks it up and scurries in the corner. And I've had $200 oh, on it, yeah. 16 to 1. Oh, if you don't mind. And I'm saying, beautiful. Anyway, the referee, blown the whistle and drawn the square and said, we'll go to the video referee. The video referee is Mick Stone, and he's in the booth alongside me at Brookvale <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> so I've got the ticket and slammed it on the window. <laughs> And I'm pointing to the ticket, and he's waving me away, saying, shut up, I've got to concentrate on this. And I'm pushing my hand on the ticket. Anyway, he disallowed it. Disallowed it? Oh, he disallowed you, it. Oh. You wouldn't believe it. Ah, oh, spewing. Anyway, three minutes later, he scored anyway. Aye. 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 Beautiful. I'll never, I'll never forget Do that. you, when the Fox run the old replays of games that you coached or played, do you catch yourself watching them, or you, you, that's just a pre- previous era... You've moved on. There are some things. There are some things on TV that I never go past. There are certain movies that, if I'm flicking through and I see the movie, I've got to watch it till the end. I've just got to watch it. I don't tell I don't, me a movie. What's Good your favourite? Uh, Shawshank Redemption. Oh uh, yeah. Um, any of the Bourne movies? Uh, the Sting, which is an old oh, one, great which movie. is one of my favourite yeah, yeah. movies ever. Um, Do you know other? Shawshank? A, a few good men. Oh, I watched right to the end. Yeah. Tom Hanks was offered the role as Andy yeah, Dufresne, yeah, yeah. and he knocked it back, right? And the reason he knocked it back, he was a fixed amount to go on Shawshank, and he went for a share in another movie. He won an Oscar, Forrest Gump. Yeah. Wow. Forrest Gump, yeah. Wow. wow. Nicholson yeah, got well, paid well, the most out of that movie, and he was only on set for one day, A Few Good Men. Yeah. But you watch what he did, he deserved oh, yeah. every cent he got. Oh, yeah, he was amazing. Yeah, yeah. it was brilliant. Um, yeah, but a few good men had a bit of relevance for mm. around an origin camp that we had because when we were in origin camp, we were watching a few good men for the whole week and it ended up being 
a bit of a theme for it. So that's that's another story. What was it? Where was I talking about movies? And the other thing yeah, is, yeah. is football games. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. If I if I tune on a football game or I tune on a uh, previous uh, you know, major golf tournament, if they're showing a replay of a major golf, I love all those official films of the British Open or the Masters. I find like. myself watching those more than any other sports, um, particularly now when there's nothing live. I just on. watched a couple this morning before I came here on Tiger Woods and his great comeback, and and they they do these stories so well mm. you know, with the American sports and Tiger Woods and. Uh, how everyone was saying his career was over and his back was injured and he was retiring from tournaments and was never going to mm. play again and could never get back to it. And then those scenes of that day where he won the players' tournament and the crowds. Oh, yeah. And this was an actually, it's about a 15-minute piece on YouTube right at the moment about his comeback. But it's it's told through the eyes of the people who went there on that day to watch him play. Yep. And it's their vision with their mobile phones oh, wow. that's used and it's, it's complemented by the, 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 the coverage of... Uh, uh, of the broadcaster, but it's more told through the the people that if Tiger was going to be in contention on Sunday, we're going, we're going. Wow. But the scenes and the crowd and, and the behind the scenes of the crowd control and then in the end they had no control <laughs> and, as they all just walked down the fairway and then they interviewed Tiger towards the end of it as he's playing that last hole with the crowd. Tremendous. I, I, so that's I can't, on YouTube. Part. I can't go past things like yeah. that. That's on YouTube, yeah. And yeah. There's another one about his, um, they call it the, the, the perfection at Pebble Beach. Um, he won a US Open at Pebble Beach by 10, oh, 15. 20, 10 yeah. or 12 shots or something, but they say it was the greatest tournament ever played by any individual. Wow. And there's a real behind-the-scenes with that, including a great moment where his caddy, who was his caddy, the bloke from the... the Steve Williams. Williams. Steve Williams mm. was talking about on the second or second day or third day, um, they had to come back and finish six holes from the night before. He sort of birdied, I think, 13 before it was too dark, and then they had to come back the next morning and play out the last few holes. Mm. And what had happened was, the night before, they were putting on the green and Tiger had picked up the balls and put him in his pocket and they'd walked off the course and Steve Williams put the bag in the car and they come back the next morning and he never checked to see how many balls were in the, were in the bag. And there were only three balls in the bag. Ah. He said, which, when I got out on the course, and I can't go back and get no many more balls now, he said... I thought, oh, three balls, we've only got to play six holes. We'll be right. When I get to the end of this, I can go and get another couple oh. of dozen balls. Oh, you know? oh. So on the 14th hole, Tiger is in the rough and hacks out a sand wedge onto the green, but sort of cuts the wall the in ball. two. And, and he said, well, give me a new ball. So he gives him a new ball. They get to the 18th, which is that par five at Pebble Beach, and it's misty and it's raining and it's windy and all that sort of thing. And Tiger hooks his first one out of bounds Uh-oh. with a driver. One left. And he's got one ball left. This he is, doesn't know. Steve is, Williams is the only yeah, one that knows. And Steve is, Williams tells the story from his behalf, and he's saying, Tiger, I think we should hit an iron here just to play safe. <laughs> and Tiger's saying, why would I hit an iron? I'm playing so good. I'm so yeah. far in front. You know, give me that ball. So he gives him the ball, and he said, I can't tell him it's the last ball because nah. I don't want to. And he said, and my career flashed before my eyes because if he hits this one out of bounds and turns around to me, we're out of the tournament. We've got no more balls. Unbelievable. It's a tin cup. Yeah. Now, he's going to win the tournament by 12. So this is on day two, right? <laughs> so Tiger takes out the, the wood again and smashes it down the right-hand side of the fairway and puts his next one on the green and oh. you know, saves par for the hole. And, <laughs> well, I'd never heard that story. No, and I'd Yeah, never. it's fascinating. And it's, Tiger didn't find out until the tournament was over. Wow. Yeah. And when they told him, he sort of just <laughs> laughed and walked yeah. away. Wow. Yeah. It's easy when you can you imagine? Can you, imagine, can you imagine the uproar? Have you seen Gus um, uh, the opposite end of success? A Netflix series called Losers, 
John Vel- Vanderveld. Oh, that's oh, so the British cruel. Open, I think it was. Yeah. Well, that was tragic. That, yeah. that was just. Tragic. Have you seen the doco? If you gave him, if you gave him a seven iron and a putter, <laughs> he could have done a better job. That's a, yeah. yeah. Have you seen the doco? That, yes, I loses? haven't seen the. Doc. You should. No, see I, it. I couldn't watch that again. No, I couldn't. There's I'll send you the link. I couldn't. Watch I could never again. watch again that and Norman in '96. I, I made myself start to watch it. Fox replayed it a year ago, and I had to stop. Well, it's so. like everyone else. We got up for years and years and years oh, following Greg yeah. Norman through majors and every tournament he ever played. And um, now it was great when he eventually won them, but he, he could have won. Oh. He could have won a dozen majors, Norman. All right, we're going to take a little pause. We've never done this before, but we're going to turn this into a two-parter because there's so much we need to talk to the great Gus Gould about, including we're going to ask him his favourite game that he ever called, um, why he doesn't like Curb Your Enthusiasm as much as Seinfeld. Obviously, we're getting to the uh, big issues. The art of coaching. Now, that will be something to listen to. And also, the future of rugby league and what coronavirus is going to do to the game. The great Phil Gould. Part two. Look out for it. It's coming up soon.